Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, walking around proud and erect through the high streets. And naked and begging, I am joining him on this journey. My name is Ash Versus. And this episode aired on the 7th of January 1992, but Ash... How did a show like Games Master come into existence on January 7th, 1992? With a great degree of difficulty and a fair amount of weirdness. Mm. So there was a producer, Jane Hewland, formerly of London Weekend Television, and she was a single parent, and therefore she spent a lot of time being everything to her young son. She was the mother, the father, often the best friend, and also the person that he often played video games with. She took an interest in his video game obsession. And it occurs to me, it must be a horrible thing being a television producer because your brain apparently never switches off. (laughs) Because here you are spending time with your son playing video games. He got a NES for his birthday. Cracking present. Cracking present for a birthday. Yeah, with a duck hunt. And I think came with Rob, the controller, as well. Yeah, because the the action pack came with the the double pack of Duck Hunt and Mario Brothers with the gun and the Rob and and everything like that. Because it was they they didn't want to sell it as a video game console because video game was a a dirty word. Oh, that was it because of the Atari crash and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They weren't they weren't games. They were game packs. And it wasn't a console, it was an entertainment system. That's exactly it. Even in Japan, that kind of stuff, because it was the Famicom, the family Mm. computer. Yeah. Good luck doing (laughs) Excel spreadsheets on that thing. (laughs) But anyway, Jane was seeing this obsession and seeing how, despite the fact that the UK was in a recession, a lot of people were spending money on their children. And video games was a big part of that, be it part of Nintendo, Sega, or even, you know, more actual computers like the Spectrum, the Commodore, and the Amstrad. She saw this and she saw this obsession and she thought, maybe there's a way that I can make television out of this, that I can turn this into something that will attract viewers. So she started to pitch it. 
she didn't get much of a response. Uh, one or two execs believed in her. But other than that, a lot of the other television executives didn't have children, or at least not of that age. And so they were like, I, I don't get it. I don't get this video game obsession. It's a minor thing. It's never it's never going to ever take over from the appeal of television. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny enough, Hollywood always thought this as well. And I was doing interviews for uh, the, the book that I wrote. A lot of Hollywood people that I spoke to were just like, Hollywood executives hate video games because they became popular and they made more money than movies did. And no one saw it coming. And that was just annoying to them. It's not that there's a new form of entertainment that's bigger than them that really bothers them. It's the fact that they didn't think of it first and get to capitalize on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's why video game movies end up the way that they do is because the people who make movies are like, no, 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 no. We know better than the video game people. This is how a character. That's why we had that hideous Sonic the Hedgehog design, because that was a Hollywood executive being like, no, no, no. The video game design is very silly. This is how you do it in a movie. You want it to look like some kind of eldritch horror. You don't want it to look like a cartoon. That also explains somewhat how we got Mario Brothers <laughs> yeah. by way of Blade Runner. Exactly, yeah. Which can be read about in your book. Thank you very much. Yes. Yes, yeah, cheap plug there. Um, and that's why we ended up with the Sonic with human teeth. You put human teeth on any cartoon creation, it's nightmare fuel. It <laughs> but anyway, back to Jane. Unperturbed by the negative reaction, she's like, okay, let's make a pitch reel. So it was her son's 11th birthday party, and she went around with a video camera. She shot the kids playing games, and she shot them talking about the games, their favorite games, and she edited it all together into basically a home movie version of Games Master and showed it around. ITV were not interested. More fool them. They backpedaled on that a few years later. Didn't they just? But Channel 4, they decided to go for it, although in a weird way, because... It was seen as a competitive program, as an event program. So it came under the sports division. Yeah, which really you notice a lot in the first series because it is very sports themed in terms of the challenges that they have and the guests that they have on. This fell under the same remit as Sports Italia, um, Kabaddi, <laughs> yeah. uh, horse racing. But you can see with the celebrity challenges in a way, a lot of them had sporting guests and sporting games. They were going for the bigger market appeal. Someone might look at a television schedule and just see Games Master, mm, not watch it. They might look at it and see mm, John Fashnu. Yeah, I'll exactly, take a look at yeah. that. And it, there's a marked difference from Series One and Series Two. Obviously, you know when we finally get to Series Two, but like Series One, the challenges are very sports orientated. It's a lot of sports games. The first episode of Series Two, Street Fighter Two. I think there's almost like this switch has been flipped where it becomes all of a sudden it's more the video games that people were playing, whereas the first one was just like, no, 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 let's have golf, let's have football, let's have snooker, let's have boxing, let's have this and we'll have that. Because was it's, snooker it's, ever on Channel 4? Because I always thought that was the BBC the 2 BBC remit. 2 thing, yeah. But, it's, it's, but it's a like, lot of the other sports were yeah. Channel 4 staples. I think it was just sort of that general sports remit of just like, this is mass market appeal because everyone likes sports. Season 1 was... We've got something to prove because it did get commissioned. It was a run of 10 episodes, which we'll be covering in this first season, but only £10,000 per episode, which is not a lot of money. Even 1992 standards, that's like below Doctor Who budget level. <laughs> and that's bad. That, that's sub most children's programming level. And unfortunately, Dave Perry doesn't come cheap. Dave Perry doesn't come cheap. <laughs> but enough of his personal taste. <laughs> 
but it's still impressive with how much they stretch it. Yeah. Firstly, they get a very competent and dynamic host with Dominic Diamond. Secondly, we get the CGI visage of Patrick Moore. A brilliant bit. A brilliant bit of casting. An amazing bit of casting. And quite frankly, utterly surreal. Because if you said to me, we need someone to play a gaming god, Patrick Moore would not even be in my book. No. But it works. It works so fantastically. Somewhere between being a kindly uncle and a kind of a strict schoolmaster. He he strikes a balance very well, which is even more impressive given I get the feeling he didn't know what the hell was going on most of the time. He hasn't a scooby-doo what he's having a, he's chatting about, but he just throws himself into that role. Like when you know a kid comes up and be like, oh, I'm stuck on DuckTales. He'd be like, mm, DuckTales, yes, I remember that. I'm gonna go to my archives now to find how to get through here. And just completely buys into it. And it it works so well. It's one of the things that while preparing for this entire run, when I was starting to watch the episodes, I was going, he's either really buying into it and ad-libbing or they've got diamond script writers, yeah. Dominic diamond script writers. <laughs> yeah. even. Or it's a combination of the two. And that actually, as the series flowed on, he just kind of like grew into the role. Yeah. One thing we're never going to get away from in this show throughout its entire run is this show was always pushing buttons always going for innuendo, the double entendres, the single entendres. We were oh, still yeah. kind of in the carry-on phase where it wasn't particularly mean-spirited or harmful. It was cheeky. Hey, that's exactly it. Dominic Diamond thinks joystick is a hilarious word <laughs> and it doubles as a knob. And the thing is, he's right on <laughs> <Yeah>. both counts. <laughs> yeah. One thing that the rise of the joypad took away from us <laughs> was the amount of you know, double entendres or single entendres that you could play. Because with a joypad... You're pressing buttons. You're pressing buttons. Yeah. Yeah. But with a joystick, hey, you hey. can have a waggle of that. You can get a grip on that. There's loads of directions you, you could take it. You can... Well, yes. <laughs> there you go. At least eight of them. <laughs> or four if you're on a more restrictive uh, gate. Mm. <laughs> I know my joystick terminology. <laughs> I've been around the block a few times. <laughs> This sort of behavior was perfectly home on Channel 4 because from their very launch, Channel 4 was the renegade channel. BBC One, standards of Britain. BBC Two, a little bit naughty. We had some Red Dwarf. We had some mm -hmm. more anarchic comedy. We had a few late night film seasons, sewing Asian cinema, horror. BBC Two, the first place I ever saw Dawn of the Dead. Mm, yeah, same here. But Channel 4, that was the first place I saw a lot of things, <laughs> yeah. many of which I wasn't meant to see. We are just around the corner from Eurotrash. Oh my God. <laughs> if we make it to Games Master, <laughs> if we can get the episodes, an episode by episode review of Eurotrash, we would be blind by halfway through. <laughs> Under consultation takes a very different meaning <laughs> when you're reviewing Eurotrash. <laughs> Under the table. <laughs> so Games Master completely fit in with Channel 4 because it was a bit, I don't like to use the word edgy. Edgy has gained some very negative connotations in recent oh, yeah. years as an excuse but it was edgy games master euro trash the word later on even yeah, in the totally. mornings the big breakfast yep and further on with the evans empire don't forget your toothbrush mm -hmm. T uh, tgi fridays tfi Fri fridays yes <laughs> no not the, not the restaurant chain that ends up putting that on tv it's easy to remember tfi friday music and comedy tgi friday 
endless mozzarella sticks. Yeah. <laughs> That's the dividing line. <laughs> I actually think TGI Friday is possibly the worst place imaginable just because their caption is where it's always Friday. And to me, that smacks of purgatory. It's like, <laughs> it's never the weekend. It's always on the cusp of being the weekend, but you never get that lie in. No one looks at Groundhog Day and thinks, what a lucky guy. No. <laughs> but anyway, we got off track. <laughs> I'm sure that won't happen at all on this podcast. No. So that's kind of the situation we're in where Games Master began. Yes. We had Dominic Diamond on board as a host. It was under the guidance of the sports division. We had a giant CGI Patrick Moore. We had a church. We had a monk who was also Dave Perry. Yeah. <laughs> and we had a £10,000 budget. So that's where we're at for Games Master. We're ready to go into episode one. But what else is going on in 1992? Well, our number one film at the box office is Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. I have a feeling we're about to embark upon a most unprecedented expedition. Once they made history. I must see to it that you die. Now they are history. Bill and Ted are dead. Welcome to hell. It's the Grim Reaper, dude. How's it hanging, Death? Close it down. We can go home now. That's it. <laughs> Spoilers, I've looked ahead. It doesn't get better than this for a good long time. Yeah, what a great film to start us off. What an amazing film. Often looked down on slightly by non-Bill and Ted fans mm -hmm. as being a lesser movie than the original. But to me, far superior. Because much like Games Master in Series 2, once they've got the comfort of the first one out of the way, they're like, okay, let's see how much weirder we can get than Genghis Khan in a shopping mall. Yeah. And boy, howdy. Do they get weird? If you think this film is not going to have robot versions of Bill and Ted, you would be wrong. If you don't think it's going to have epic Martian booty, you'd be wrong. <laughs> you don't think they're going to play battleships against death, you'd be wrong. If you don't think they're going to play Twister against death, <laughs> you'd be wrong. Best three out of five. <laughs> You're damn right. What a fantastic film. Oh, and just as a concept of all the things to spoof in your kind of Stone of Rock sequel, The Seventh Seal. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea what The Seventh Seal was as a kid. But I you know what one did as a kid. I don't now as an adult, and I've done my own spoof of The Seventh Seal <laughs> as a YouTube video. But you know what? Death made me laugh a lot. Oh, yeah, totally. And again, as an adult, I appreciate it even more now because not only is it a parody of The Seventh Seal, it features Primus, who are one of my favourite bands. Jim Martin of Faith No More's there. It, it just, it speaks to me. It speaks to my taste in music. It's also got the sadly now departed George Carlin as Rufus. And it ends with a cover of an Argent song, uh, which Kiss made their own with God Gave Rock, rock and, and Roll, roll to You 2. They didn't just take the Kiss version of God Gave Rock and Roll to You 2. No, no, no. They added some extra bit at the beginning. They got Steve Vai in, who is a guitar maestro, and he shreds it. And it's something I think is sadly missing from films these days, is that kind of joyous ending that gets the hair at the back of your neck up. Yeah. And you're like, this is a great ending. This is powerful. This is emotion. This is joy. And you walk out of the cinema with a smile on your face. Well, speaking of putting a smile on your face, our number one song in the charts is Queen Bohemian Rhapsody with the double A side of These Are the Days of Our Lives. I think we'll go with a little Bohemian Rhapsody, gentlemen. Good call. We may have been in the midst of a depression, but by 
God, the entertainment industry was definitely batting for us at the beginning of 1992. And it had been number one since the middle of December the previous year. Basically, the immediate single that followed on from Freddie Mercury's untimely passing. Yeah. Um, I get the feeling this song sold more off the back of it being Bohemian Rhapsody than These Are The Days Of Our Lives. Ask me to sing Bo Rap, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Ask me to sing These Are The Days Of Our Lives. I listened to it before coming in here. Oh yeah, like I that, still couldn't do it. That was the one I had to look up here. Like, these are the days. How does that one go again? And I'm like, these are the days of our lives. I'm just gonna listen to Bo Rap again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's 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 all there is to it. Yeah. I thought it was crazy though when looking at Bohemian Rhapsody being number one. I kind of forgot that it was connected to Freddie's death because I thought, oh, it's Wayne's World. Wayne's World's not out for another couple of months yet. Yeah, Bo Rap does get like kind of double bubble on the uh, the billboard charts and the uk charts because wayne's world puts it right back in there yeah. with another cracking music video as well absolutely it does it's a really interesting time period to revisit for me as well not just for the film and the song but i'd only just got my mega drive i got it for christmas 1991 and i got it with a copy of sonic the hedgehog castle illusion starring mickey mouse and tasmanian and the following day i went to virgin megastore with my mum and dad to use my christmas money to buy quack shot starring donald duck which is actually it's just over there i've just i realized the other day it's still in the studio here it's my original copy that i got in 1991 Amazing. oh that's awesome <laughs> And also, man alive, what a collection to start with. It's not bad, right? I, I was that would have seen me well through Christmas and into Easter. That was I think it did. epic games. <laughs> yeah. But like so this was like a real sort of birth of uh like video game interest for me, particularly when it comes to magazines. Games Master was the start of active video game coverage on television. Before that, all we had was magazines. And thankfully, a lot of those magazines have been preserved via archive.org, therefore making it very easy for us to dip back in time and see exactly what they were talking about. And sadly, a lot of the time, they were talking nonsense. <laughs> yeah. Because this is pre-internet. This is before we could fact-check anything. But the big news across the board was the coming of the Super Nintendo. It was only a few months away from launch in the UK. Meme Machines had a nice tasty spread on it, and they were talking about all the games that were coming out. Some of the original launch era titles are ones that still stand out today, and in fact launch franchises. Mario World, the continuation mm -hmm. of the Mario franchise, although it was often called around this time by various magazines for no apparent reason, Super Mario Bros. 4. <laughs> Even though it's out in Japan as Super Mario World. The title screen says Super Mario World in Japan. <laughs> In English, there's no translation issues here. But also in that launch title, showing off Mode 7, which was Super Nintendo's secret weapon, F-Zero. Oh, man. Pilot Wings. Yeah. Pilot Wings has always been a favourite of mine. I, I still live in hope that we get a new Pilot Wings someday because it was a different gaming experience. It was soothing. Mm. It was the Bob Ross of video games. It yeah. was it was a case of you you just there weren't for the most part enemies to fight. You were just trying to pass through rings or or yeah. land a parachute. It was lovely. An interesting little factoid that we get here is that Meme Machines has a bit of a spicy take. They say that the Super Nintendo we'll be getting will be the same as the purple and grey American machine and not the quote ugly concrete block like Japanese version. Really? That's Which is a fascinating take on that because that grey and uh, purple one they get in the US is very concrete block like. Whereas I, the one that we get here in the UK, and the, the one they had in Japan is the Super Famicom, 
It's a lovely sleek design. It's got some curves, it's got some edges, it's friendly. The American Super Nintendo is brutalist. It's like Mario had a regrettable night with Minecraft. It, it's, it's probably got some redstone in there somewhere. The buttons are grey. The controller is grey and purple, which as an adult with mild goth aesthetics, <laughs> I appreciate, <laughs> but I still prefer the other design. Oh, I love that red, yellow, blue and green. Love it. Now, this was only happening a few months away from retail, and I'm looking at this going, are they making this up? Because as I said, there's a lot of stuff yeah. in these magazines that could turn out to be tosh. But a few pages after this preview, there was an official advert for the Super Nintendo, which said, when will the Super Nintendo arrive in the UK or similar? But mm. the letters highlighted spelt out soon. And at the bottom of the double page spread, there was a Super Nintendo controller with purple and gray buttons. Wow. So we were on the cusp of getting the US version or the Western version, if you will. I have a theory. Mm -hmm. So it'd been out in Japan a while. The imports had already been going around. It had more recently launched in America where it was doing gangbusters. It was doing great business. I'm wondering if they had a shortage of the shells for the American style, ah. but because they were already past the first wave in Japan, there were more of the Super Famicom style shells. So quick change of decals, few other changes just to include some region protections just marketing quick change of marketing boom europe has the super nintendo but in a japanese style and i'm very glad for that yeah same here i i don't think i would look back on the american super nintendo as fondly and you know what if there are americans listening firstly well done <laughs> you've gone niche and taken it to another level by picking up on this british television program <laughs> but also i'm not saying that you shouldn't love the purple and grey Super Nintendo. But it's kind of like eras of wrestling or Doctor Who. The style that Japan had and we had, that was the one we grew up with. And therefore, it's very difficult for me to look at the American Super Nintendo objectively and not feel that it's lesser yeah. than what we received. I'm wondering if Nintendo were looking at the Mega Drive and going, we need to make this look a little bit edgier. Yeah. We need to make this look a little bit more threatening because the Super Nintendo, in its Japanese and European form, looked a bit cuddly. Yeah. It looked a bit friendly. Bit kid-like. Bit kid-like, fun for all the family. The Mega Drive, in all its iterations, looked like it would shoot your cat in the ass and chase your mum around the living room. Yeah. The last thing of note to do with these launch articles for the Super Nintendo is a preview of an unknown beat-em-up that apparently looks ace. Mm. I can reveal that that beat-em-up turned out to be rival turf. Mm, it's not ace. It was awful <laughs> it wanted to be final fight yeah it really wasn't <laughs> thank you thank you very much and welcome to games master television's first ever video game magazine show especially designed for people out there who find pictionary pointless and kaplunk a waste of marbles each week on the show we'll be reviewing new games giving away exclusive tips and cheats and casting our eyes over the latest hardware and software developments but the biggest portion of our show will be devoted to our three special game-playing challenges. So, if you've ever dazzled your local arcade inhabitants with your hard-driving prowess, or simply enjoyed a waggle of your joystick in the privacy of your own bedroom, this is the show you've been gagging for. And what a way to introduce us to this show, with Dominic Diamond playing the organ and welcoming us to this, what I seem to remember being a rather large set. 
I <laughs> to get back in an hour. It seems very small. I was thinking like it was a it was introduced a gaming cathedral and yeah. it wasn't. It was a church function hall. <laughs> I mean, I think of it of having these massive like kind of like gothic architecture that and, must and come pews. In later seasons. I, well, I mean, the sets do get bigger. Yeah. Spoilers, <laughs> things get bigger and better. But I also look back and I'm like, Channel Four for me was probably the worst reception. Mm. of any even on the big tv like oh, with the main yeah, aerial yeah, yeah. there was snow you know <laughs> yeah, so yeah. so maybe at that point the mind's eye filled in the blanks for what was being hidden by the yeah. the electronic snow indeed um we get dominic diamond introducing us um essentially burying pictionary and kaplunk because they're board games and they're not cool like a video games are or computer games as well we would probably more refer to them in the uk and then he runs down the show format and straight away makes a dick joke what was the first dick joke that you had written down uh, it's the show you've been gagging for oh <laughs> yeah i suppose do you know what i was keeping account I didn't actually count that one. <laughs> I think I picked up on that one through the second time of viewing because after yeah. he makes all the other dick jokes, I'm like, I bet you that's supposed to be a dick joke as well. It's certainly got at least a sliver of innuendo to <laughs> it. It does. But yeah, we fade in on Dominic Diamond apparently playing the organ. It's actually, no, there's the first dick joke. <laughs> <laughs> he essentially sets it up that he's playing the theme song. The theme song that you're hearing in that crescendo at the end, that's Dominic Diamond playing it to welcome us in. What a theme tune as yeah. well, with Gregorian chants and drum and bass and, yeah, church organ and a strange digital Patrick Moorhead. <laughs> yeah. and, and the thing is, is Channel 4, I think that was when Channel 4 started to associate itself in my mind with being... A bit edgy. They're the cool, edgy channel, yeah. Yeah, this was a few years before I discovered Eurotrash, but, you know, <laughs> this was this was sowing the seeds. Oh, this yeah. was Channel 4. This, this was the gateway drug. <laughs> this was the gateway drug to Eurotrash and The Word, yes. which Dominic Diamond lost out on. Did he really? Yeah, I think he was up for the job with Terry Christian. No way, I did not know that. I mean, you imagine the roles reversed. I'm not sure we'd have got seven seasons. <laughs> Uh, but let's head on over to Gamesmaster, who's going to give us our first challenge. Greetings. So, you'd like to pit your skills against one of my little challenges. Commendable pluck indeed. Well, I've decided to be gentle with you, this being our first coming together, and I've planned for the decidedly cute Super Mario Brothers 3. Your assignment is to collect 50 coins in two minutes on the familiar first level of the World 1. A few pointers. First... Don't forget that you'll need to acquire the ability to fly, because only in the heavens can sufficient coins be found. Second, go like the clappers. 50 coins in two minutes. Good luck. 50 coins in two minutes on Super Mario Brothers 3. Doesn't seem that difficult. I had no frame of reference for this at the time, because as discussed, I was basically CPC 464 or Game Boy. I could probably do 50 coins in two minutes on Mario Land, maybe, but that wasn't Mario 3, which had a raccoon suit mm. and really quite a much more diverse playing field, literally a more diverse playing field. And this is where I think a big thing for me came into Games Master is this was a portal into seeing games that I just had no chance of playing. Totally. I never played Mario Brothers 3 until Mario All-Stars for the Super Nintendo, which even then was kind of a slightly souped up mm -hmm. version. And so I just 
saw this saw this challenge and saw this game and I was just I was hooked I was hooked from episode, from moment one absolutely and actually like when you know you're a, a kid watching this and you hear Super Mario, like Super Mario Bros 3 get 50 coins in two minutes that does sound like it's a big deal like oh actually that might be quite tricky and I think if you were to go and try and play this now I, I mean, I don't know how many coins there are in the level, but to be able to do this, you do know, you do need to know to get the P block and you do need to know to get down the pipe to get all of the other hidden coins, which makes it think actually, this is quite a tough task if you don't know those two areas. Depending on how the thing was edited, because also there may have been a few slight bits. I didn't actually time it to find if the clock was accurate, mm. but... I think he got like 56, 60 coins. He did, yeah, about because when he got into the super, we went into the pipe area. Yeah. And, and so on the second try, because he balls it up the first time. Oh, oh. cool. And, that was tension. <laughs> that was some tension there. Well, it was because he was wasting too much time getting the extra life. <laughs> Here's the thing I made a specific note on this is at that point in time, speed runs were not a thing. And it's ingrained. There's a one up, you get the one up, you don't know when the next one might be available, you don't know when you're going to need it. Yeah. And so I, I imagine it was almost like muscle memory of there's a box, punch the box, grab the power up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's even a point when, because he gets the raccoon suit and then he waits for the Goomba to get to him before attacking it. And I'm like, that's what I would have done as a kid as well, because you're like, well, I don't want to lose this suit. So I'm not going to take the risky strategy of jumping on him in case I mistime the jump. I'll wait till he gets to me, then I'll take him out. I mean, the thing is, I suppose, yes, you lose a couple of seconds, but at the same time, if you'd lost the suit, you'd be stuffed. That's you'd be it. done for. You There'd be no, yeah, yeah, that would be game over, challenge over, no, no, no gold, golden joystick for you. Absolutely not. So the uh, the kid playing this is Daniel Blake from Edgeware, our first ever contestant, who's got wonderful 90s curtains. He's got wonderful 90s curtains and they're authentic <laughs> 90s curtains. <laughs> As his jumper says. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to try and be as kind as I can to a lot of the fashion oh, totally. we, we see here. Because one, I was probably wearing it. Mm -hmm. And two, you know, there's only so much punching down you can do. And also, to be fair, Dominic Diamond does his fair amount of punching down as the series progresses. I was going to say, we'll leave the punching down to him because I had those 90s curtains. Later in life, I think when I hit sort of like 10 years old, I had those curtains. And so I, and I wore those proudly for oh. many, many years. I think I basically, for most of my teenage years, until I started growing my hair long, mm. which, you know, as, as we have an audio medium, I have long hair and a ponytail. Which I'm very um, jealous of. Oh, well, there you go. You know, many, lost, lost all mine. <laughs> many years of avoiding a hairdresser. <laughs> but I basically had a kind of like mid-60s George Harrison haircut for most of my adolescence. <laughs> so the, the concept of these curtains, I mean, I just thought all these kids look so cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially like, particularly like in the later 90s when David Beckett would you know, rise to popularity, the curtains became, that was the must-have hairstyle. Yeah. So actually, Daniel Blake from Edgeware was ahead of the curve. Absolutely ahead of the curve. Ahead and, of the curtain, if you will. Oh, well done. I, I will say that compared to where we go later in the series, we talk about Dominic Dunn and punching down, he eases into this. He's actually quite kind yeah. to the kid. And also, this is, a, I think, a big uh, indicator of where we were in society. There was a camera pointing at this kid, and this kid was pricking himself. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, wouldn't be a case. Everyone's got a camera. Everyone's yeah, totally. got the ability to shoot video, to be on video, to take selfie videos and post it to Instagram. There is more of an ingrained cultural thing with today's youth. Ugh, I can't believe I used that phrase. I'm old. <laughs> no, but where they are basically used to talking into a camera. Yeah. They're used to being put on the spot and having to perform. 
Games Master would be a very different show now, even if you kept the same tone and the same amount of dick jokes. It would just totally be the kids would have comebacks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they would have, they'd be armed with at least five. They, they would be the ones causing writing letter complaints. <laughs> and in our commentary box alongside Dominic Diamond is Julian Jazz Rignall. Oh, the jazz man. The I mean, jazz man. I didn't believe this guy was real until I saw him in this show because he was just a name and a cartoon in uh, Me Machines. Yeah. I like the fact that Dominic Diamond almost feels like he's taking the piss because he calls him Julian, quote, Jazzer Rignall. Ooh, is that another dick joke, perhaps? Maybe it is. Yeah. Maybe it is. Maybe it's that's a little a secret euphemism. hidden one. Yes. Yeah, a little euphemism. Yeah. Uh, Jazz calls Super Mario Brothers 3 one of the greatest games of all time. I don't think he's wrong either, particularly for this point. No, I mean, Mario World was out at this point, but... Oh, sorry, Super Mario Brothers 4. <laughs> Mario World was out at this point. But no, Super Mario Brothers 3, I think, was a more revolutionary game. So Danny Blake does very well. He does get the raccoon suit. He manages to get up into the secret area, but misses the pipe. Gets the P-block, though. Quick recovery. Quick, very, very quick recovery. And it's interesting also listening to the audience throughout this challenge, because, I mean, throughout most of Dominic's intro to the show, there may as well not be an audience there. His jokes fall flat on their ass yeah but once they actually get a kid playing a game the audience are into it and then when he drops down the side of the pipe the audience <laughs> yeah he does it he does it with a comfortable amount of time spare like nine ten seconds yeah i think well i've, I've forgotten he's got 15 seconds left on the clock so yeah he did have a, a fair comfortable amount of time i thought the challenge was going to end when he got the 50 coins not and then it was when they're like oh and now he's got to finish the level and all of a sudden i was like he's got to finish the level yeah and then when he got out of the pipe I was like ah oh, he's all right the, the finish is just there he's okay he's fine he's it'll be fine. good um and daniel said that he, once he got the raccoon mario suit he knew he was onto a winner he just needed to avoid hitting anyone and he wins the coveted golden joystick it looks great and you've got a monk who's probably dave the animal perry <laughs> i think he was the monk <laughs> Which, when he becomes a commentator, means at some point after the challenge, he was like, oh, bugger it, quick, put, put, <laughs> put the, the hood on. on. <laughs> and this is where we get Dominic Diamond making another dick joke, where he said, If you, if you take that bike to Edgeware with you and you can put it in your hand and walk proud and erect through the high street. You can now walk proud and erect through the high street. <laughs> through Edgeware, specifically. <laughs> and let me just say, never walk proud and erect through Edgeware. Um, arrests will follow. <laughs> You'll be on a list. It's not a great idea. And yeah, and I'm also just looking back at it. I'm like, my brain is like, you're saying this to a child, man. What are you doing? My but favorite, it was funny. Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> my favorite thing about this challenge, really, looking back on it in hindsight, though, is just how careful uh, Daniel Blake is running through this level. Because when you watch people play Super Mario Bros. 3 now, it is either for speedrun purposes, in which case they go through it as quickly as they possibly can, or it's just people who played it time and time again and they can just run through this level and not bother with all the secret areas and things like that. So it's actually, there's something quaint about watching someone take their time playing Super Mario, like playing World 1-1 of Super Mario Brothers 3. I mean, it was also, it was a challenge. It was definitely a challenge. Can you imagine if they'd done it on like 3-1 or 4-1 yeah. or like, you know, and this is just the stage before the final castle and yeah. just, you know, <laughs> with lava and fire and God knows what else. But it, from, from a viewer's perspective, it was a good story. It yeah. was a great story because also it started to put that seed in the back of your head of, maybe I could do this. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I could try and do my... I mean, I'm sure for those that had access, 
to it. I'm sure people went home and went, or like, you know, once the show was over, switched over to the um, RF block that yes. you got with the, your consoles, booted up Mario Brothers 3 and like got the egg timer from the kitchen and went, yeah. right, let's do this. Now, before we go on to our celebrity challenge, let's take a quick peek at this week's reviews. Each week, our reviews will be linked by a theme. This week, it's time to smear ketchup on your hot dog as we look at movie conversions. First off, on the Mega Drive, flex your pecs with postmodern icon Arnie in Terminator. It's actually a good game, it's very playable, nice big sprites, lots of exciting explosions and gung-ho action. There's a lot of uh, digitalized screenshots which are very impressive and if you had any friends around you could pose with them. For once it's a Mega Drive game that packs a real challenge. It's got still got the great standard of graphics and sound that you come to expect from the Mega Drive, but it's also got a very high standard of gameplay. We're kicking things off with The Terminator for the Mega Drive, which is a game that I would have later in life. Really? I became a big fan of The Terminator um, when I became a teenager. Like, I was obsessed with The Terminator. I had it taped off TV, and I would be, I'd watch it every single day when I got back from school. I was just obsessed with the movie. I'm a big science fiction fan, <laughs> and I like time travel in particular. And I like time travel that plays within its own rules and it's got such a fascinating lore and everything. So I became obsessed with the Terminator. I was also a kid that held onto my Mega Drive way past its sell-by date. So when virtual games opened up down the road from my house in Reading, I would be able to go down there and pick up Mega Drive games for a fiver as opposed to being able to buy you know, PlayStation or N64 games which were 50, 60 quid. I can instead get my games and I had a huge selection to choose from for five quid. And because the guy didn't care, if a game was pants, I would just take it back and be like, this one's rubbish and I'd just take a different one instead and he'd go like, yeah, it's fine. Amazing. Oh yeah. I, I'm I'm a big fan of holding on to gaming formats longer than is really appropriate because yeah you hit that sweet spot where the games are really cheaply priced then you go out the other side and suddenly you end up where we are today where <laughs> retro gaming is a massive cash cow <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah so I had this game I it's funny because someone says uh, later on in this review that there's a lot of like it, it's a lot of playability about it and it packs a real challenge it's it's um, Radian says it later on. Mm. But I, I can recall finishing that game in about 10 minutes. Like, because I played it a lot. And there's a point, if you play it enough, you can just, because it's only four levels long, you can do it in about 10 minutes. I think that was my quickest time I ever did it in. I mean, that's golden joystick worthy, I will just say. <laughs> but they also mentioned, like, that there's a lot of digitized screens and something along those lines, which you can show to your friends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, what they mean by that is there are... Yeah, there are screenshots from the movie that are in the game and are pixelated. And it's just a way they use that to kind of like tell the story. They don't, remarkably, they don't do the sex scene between Sarah Connor and Kyle Reese. They basically just go like, they went to a motel and the Terminator found them. There's no hot coffee mod for this for Terminator. <laughs> no, because you start off in the future to get back in time. Your next level is in Tech Noir. Then you're in the police station. And then you're in the warehouse at the end of the movie. Uh, fighting against the Terminator. So it's a really, really short game. Actually, I suppose when you look at it in the context of the original movie, apart from the sex scene, they don't actually skimp over much. They really don't. No, that is actually, yes, the motel's the only scene that they don't really cover. I swear on like the, the car chase and stuff after Tech Noir, but you know, it's, just, uh, it's only a Mega Drive game. Yeah, if they, had, <laughs> if they had Mode 7, now we'd be talking. <laughs> So I've just had a quick check of speedrun.com, just for my own personal curiosity. The quickest time on there is 6 minutes and 34 seconds. 
I mean, 10 minutes, still very respectable. And, you know, in 10th place is 10 minutes and 32 seconds. So, I mean, I'm not saying I could get onto the speedrunning board for running Terminator, but I'd be... I, I could have done in 1996. I mean, I'd crack out the Mega Drive and give it a go. I mean, I think, you know, you could have some... You could have some... Uh... Some possibilities there. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Dave Wilson from Zero Magazine uh, calls it, uh, says it's got big sprites and lots of explosions. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be disappointed if it didn't for a Terminator game. And then we get uh, words from Tim Oberami, who's the only person that I've researched in this episode I couldn't find anything on. Which makes me think he either worked for the show, or, I, I mean, I don't know, but I can't find anything about him online. I'll be honest, until we started doing research for this show and I started pulling all the magazine scans, I'd never really heard of Zero magazine. I remember yeah. CBG, yep. Mean Machines, and at this period of time, Amstrad Action, which yeah. was my, that was my monthly go-to magazine because it had a cover tape. <laughs> I got games every month and they were awful. <laughs> Um, but no, I, I, yeah, I'd never heard of Zero Magazine, and I'm looking through it, and I'm just like, this is okay. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have as much of a definitive style as Me Machines, and I think, yeah, that, yeah, Me Machines was the naughty boy, mm, yeah, very so, much so. Yeah, and we also hear from. Uh, Radian or Radian from CMVG Magazine, Computer and Video Games Magazine. So he was, I've, I've done some research into this, he was a reader of Meme Machines who would send in comic strips to them. And apparently, Jazz thought they were so funny that he asked him to do more and then brought him on to be a staff writer. And he was a staff writer with CBG for ages. It's a beautiful story that there was this kid that was writing in. It's almost like it's almost like the kid that sends in letters to Stan Lee and then gets the job <laughs> making coffee at Marvel. And it's That's like, totally it, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, this is a bit more of a niche reference, but he proper looks like Adam Bibolo from the Attitude Era podcast. He, he really, really does. <laughs> I had that thought as well. <laughs> I was, Hi, Adam. <laughs> I was going to tweet Adam about it, but I was like, I'm not, I'm not sure this is the right time to do it. I'm not sure if I'm in the right place to do that. Uh, Radian says that for once, it's a Mega Drive game that packs a real challenge. She felt like a real dig at the Mega Drive. Yeah, I'm like, where, where'd that come from? Like, what did the Mega Drive do to him? I mean, just like, wow. And also, to be fair, four levels, you completed it in 10 minutes. How crap are you, a Terminator? <laughs> But he did score 87%. Well, overall, it got 87%, which seems like a very, very high score for that game. I remember when percentages were everything in reviews. I mean, now I think grades work well, like the A grade. But back then, it was just like, there were, there were the bars. Mm. There were the bars in what review scores meant. Anything above 85 was considered worth a look. Definitely got to pick that up. 60 to 85. Yeah, if you yeah. rent it, maybe. Yeah, maybe rent it or secondhand. Yeah. Anything below 60%. Mm. That well, was what your gran got you, really. Oh, yeah, it's a Christmas present. That, Nan Christmas present, that's that that's that score screams. Yeah, that's that's the that's the video game equivalent of like another famous five compendium with the same <laughs> goddamn six books in it. Well, in sorry, that... I'm projecting there. <laughs> Next up, this week's late night movie is a macabre romp around your Nintendo with the Adams family. For the youngsters, it's it's a good game, and it it certainly would give you value for money in terms of playability because it's uh, it's very addictive, but um, it doesn't really offer very much uh, original or new. The NES has a, a surfeit of good quality platform games. There's all the Mario games, there's Ducktales, so uh, 
I think uh, more really could have been done with the license than just another box standard uh, NES platform game. Well, in that score bracket, we've got our next game, which is Adam's Family for the NES. Uh, Wilson says it's a good family game, but there's not a lot of variety. And Radian says that the NES has got so many good platform games. Why would this be another platform game? And I want to say to him, it's like, because bloody everything was a platform game in the early 90s. What are you expecting? I mean, they took Ninja Turtles and it was essentially a platform game, you yeah. know, with some overhead bits. But I did think when I was coming out of this review, what would they do with the Adams family? And the only thing I could think of, which kind of leads on to the next review, is a point-and-click adventure. Yes. I would love an Adams family point-and-click adventure. Really exploring around the house. Yeah. Oh, that'd be a lot and, of fun. And, and just encountering all the different things and lots of little Easter eggs to the TV series. Yeah. And more varied music than da 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 I actually, I've not played the NES version, but I have played the Super Nintendo one. And looking at the footage that's on screen, I think it's more or less the same game that they would get like a, they would get an updated version of it later on. And it is fun. I'd have to take a look, but I think Super Adam's Family did better. Mm. Well, that game got 63%, so not a big recommendation from Games Master this week. But what comes with a high recommendation is Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis for PC. And finally, butter your popcorn on the PC with Indiana Jones 4 and the Fate of Atlantis. It's a much more sophisticated game, much more superior graphics, and the depth of the story and the puzzling is all at a much uh, higher level. It's got all the makings of a Lucasfilm game, if you look at it, the, the attention to detail, the quality of the graphics, just the, the humorous touches and the sheer depth uh, are really quite stunning. Yes, we get the point. I'd just say it looks like one of the, uh, the best ever PC adventure games. Which is a goddamn great game. That's the fourth movie. <laughs> Balls to your crystal skulls. Fate of Atlantis holds up now. Oh, it's so good. It's interesting you note that this should have been the fourth Indiana Jones movie, which I completely agree with. Mm. But in 1994, the Daily Mail did run an article saying that Sandra Bullock was being tapped for Indiana Jones 4, which would be titled Indiana Jones and the Lost Continents. This is all from uh, David Hughes' book, Tales from Development Hell. Yes. Uh, in which they talk about that it was essentially a retelling of the Fate of Atlantis video game, but it was a very elaborate hoax. And the guy who did it, I believe um, David Hughes tracked him down and interviewed him. The guy who did it um, said that he did it just to prove to his mum that the Daily Mail makes up all of its stories. I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> so, Allegedly. 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 So he went to great lengths to fool the Daily Mail. Apparently he wrote like a, a treatment script for it and fed them the information that Sandra Bullock was uh, going to be cast as the, um, the second to Harrison Ford's. I would love to think that in an alternate universe, that fake treatment somehow crossed the desk of Spielberg and Lucas, and they're like, did you write this? <laughs> yeah. Did you write this? It's not a bad idea. <laughs> Do you know what? It's better than the Crystal Skull yeah, one we've got. I was looking at this Crystal Skull and thinking, I might take 15 years to make this piece of shit. <laughs> but no, let's go with the Lost Continent. Ah, Wilson calls it a more sophisticated game, and you can see, like, this... Radian clearly loves point-and-click games. Like, he clearly loves adventure games because they kind of take the piss out of him a little bit because he is sending us a lot of attention to detail. He calls it stunning. And then the show fast-forwards through his review with Dominic Diamond going like, yeah, 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 we know, get on with it. I mean, I know I just slammed on um, Radian, but I'm like... I'm with him on this one. Oh, yeah. I, I, this is clearly the standout game, both in rating and I 
to be honest, in Legacy. Yeah, totally. And he calls it one of the best PC adventure games. I've got to agree, 93% for Whopping Indiana score. Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. Great. I mean, that's almost up to the Street Fighter 2 levels of ratings. Oh, yeah, totally, yeah. yeah. Now for this week's feature. George Bush does it, Prince William started to do it, Nuka's on the block, do it together, and so does Betty Boo. They all play their Game Boy. However, not content with merely owning the most pleasurable six inches of hardware money can buy, Game Boy owners are now customising their beloved handhelds. I took the skateboard grips, put it on it because it makes holding it much more comfortable, your hands don't sweat so much, and I put the essential Stussy sticker on there. I'm a toy collector, so I have loads of bits of toy and animation and colourful things. A Game Boy comes into this world naked, and it's just begging to be designed. It's crying out to be scribbled, drawn, smashed up, and designed all over. If you want some tips about how to customise your Game Boy, and for any other information about the show, you can join our special Games Master Club. Details on how to join will be given at the end of the show. Uh, and this week's feature is on the Game Boy. George Bush, Prince William, you kids on the block, do it together. Dick jokes. And yeah. so does Betty Boop. They're all playing Game Boy. The most pleasurable six inches of hardware that <laughs> money can buy. <laughs> Love Honey would disagree with you there. <laughs> uh, but people are now customizing the Game Boy. They don't think that it's pretty enough. Um, and so one guy has put skateboard grips on it so that your hands don't slip. I don't recall my, my Game Boy slipping out of my hands to the point where I needed to put skateboard grips on it. Not just skateboard grips, the essential Stussy sticker. <laughs> I had to Google it. I'm just like, I have no idea what that is. I'm assuming it's some sort of skateware, apparently surfware. I was going to say, I'm glad you looked into that because I didn't. It was 30 seconds, I started to read the Wikipedia article and I just like, nope, close. <laughs> uh, the second one uh, has got cartoon stickers all over it and she has this bit where she's talking about how Game Boy comes into this world naked and it's crying out to be designed all over. Yeah, the, the I wrote this quote down because this woman made me angry <laughs> like i had a proper i had to go and walk away and have a cup of tea and calm down because yeah she says it comes into this world naked and begging to be designed crying out to be scribbled drawn and smashed up on no it comes into this world with a copy of tetris you play tetris the end i mean to be honest custom designs on cases on games on consoles and stuff Great. I love a nice custom paint job. I want to do a custom case on my GameCube that I'm modding at the moment. But I want to be able to play it. Yeah. Yeah, some of the ones, like some of the designs they've got in this do make it look like it's unplayable. Like some, like the one that's like eyes, then they can sort of like pull the eyes down. I'm like, well, that looks like the buttons don't work now. Yeah, googly eyes on the buttons. I mean, hilarious for a while, but <laughs> you know, you're never going to defeat Mario Land with that absolutely certainly not and also like I, I take some umbrage with just putting some some stickers of cartoons on it a design like i did that but i don't call myself a fashion designer i mean the laptop that's in front of you at the moment it has stickers on the stickers back stickers all over it perfectly fine perfectly valid no offense it's not a design <laughs> not. a lot of them are just slapped on in random places so that wraps up the review section as Dominic Diamond tells us some sound advice on where to put your pennies. <laughs> 
not gonna lie that's my favorite one of the night pretty much i mean there's a few good ones still to come but that one passed me by until like just watching it earlier today and i'm like that's subtle i was gonna say that one passed me by until you pointed it out and i've watched this episode three times in the last week your mind just needs to be at the right guttural level there it is um but that leads us into our celebrity challenge so let's head on over to games master to find out what it is nice to see you again I do hope you enjoyed my last little jaunt. Rather a competent player, wasn't he? For my second challenge this week, I thought I'd drop the spot of football on Manchester United Europe. It'll be a game of two 90-second halves in which a talented Manchester United formation will pit themselves against the classic skills of Liverpool. I trust we'll all be treated to a display of exemplary gamesmanship. And it's a game called Manchester United Europe, which was released for the Commodore 64, Amiga, Amstrad, ZX Spectrum, etc. All of those, those classic 90s computer consoles. And yeah, 90 second halves with Man United versus Liverpool. I was into football at this period of my life, but I'm not sure I would have been like excited to have seen this as a challenge. I think this was just me coming out of football for the first time. I got dragged back in um, in the mid-90s and then fading out. I still appreciated a football game. I always have and I always will, particularly ones that don't have loot crates. <laughs> oh, a bit of a slam there on EA. <laughs> to be honest, I'm not alone. <laughs> uh, but no, I... And I actually really like this challenge. Um, I thought it was also nice because it wasn't just a celebrity challenge. It was a celebrity versus a plebrity. Yes. And do you know what? The, my favorite thing about this is this is, the, uh, this is the challenge that the crowd are most hyped for. The crowd seem so into this challenge. And that really, and I really like, appreciate that. And I thought that our guest is John Fashionu. Um, is so up for it as well. Like he's really playing along with the game. He's getting into it, calling for the ref when there's constantly yellow cards being flown around. And also, unless there's like his wasn't his joystick wasn't plugged into anything, and there was a hidden games player behind. Which I'll be honest, some later challenges I did suspect. <laughs> um, he really has been playing this game, or at least football games in general, because he's he's pretty good. He's not yeah. bad. Gets a bit of a boo from the crowd, though, because they announce him and the crowd turn. Now, Simon, first of all, I see you're wearing a lovely Ipswich Town top. I think you brought all the supporters with you as well. Yeah. Um, is this your team or is it just a cruel joke? It is my team, yes. Well, my commiserations to you. What kind of tactics will we see from you in the game tonight? Good, close, clean passing play tonight. Not a skill? Oh, yes. Well, talking about your skill, we're now going to your opponent tonight, John Fashionu from Wimbledon. John, how are you going to play the game tonight? I think, like Simon says, I think the crowd have come here to watch a nice, clean, enjoyable game in a good spirit. <laughs> I think over the years, Wimbledon have built out the reputation of being fair and honest, and that's really just what we want to do. Sorry. Sorry. Right, well, we'll see if that all comes through. If you'd like to take your seat. Oh, well, that's because Wimbledon were the, the bad boys of football at that point. Because right? it was the the Vinnie Jones era of oh, Wimbledon of football. So yeah. I feel like John Fashionu being what, a part of that Wimbledon squad, because he even makes a joke about it, being just like, you know, with Wimbledon, we like a fair game. The guy yeah. Boo. You're a cheater and you should feel bad. Boo. <laughs> but actually, our uh, our player Simon Reynolds from Bishop Stopford also gets booze because he's an Ipswich fan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's even fairly self-deprecating, where he's like, "Yeah, all five of us are here," <laughs> you know? and it's like that's the right way to be a minority football league team supporter. He's like, <laughs> play into it, lean into it, get the punchlines in, 
before anyone else can. And in the commentary booth from Renegade, it's Tom Watson. Renegade being the home of the Bitmap Brothers, who would later make one of the best football games ever, Sensible Soccer. Yeah. But I really like the commentary uh, for this game because it does feel like they're just commentating on a football game. And you go, uh, Watson says that the game is all about passing, which is advice that John Fashionu blatantly ignores because his tactic for this is like, I am just going to run at the goal. And in fairness, Simon also kind of ignores it because he is walloping the hell out of Fashionu's <laughs> players. He's just like, there are yellow cards left, right and centre. Within the first couple of seconds, there's a yellow card in this game. Yeah, but I tell you what, I do appreciate that I think by keeping it to 90 seconds, it was going to be tight. Yes. They clearly, I don't know if the game had kind of like more simulation type controls or you could increase the AI, but basically this game was being played fast yeah and and it it was great it was a really kind of like tense there was back and forth yeah because the first half ends with a nil nil result and john fashion who gets a couple of free kicks in there but constantly and i'm like i'm like almost screaming the tv is like fash pass it to one of your players when you got the free kick man you've got the advantage one thing i noticed when we got to the end of the first half and this is indifference to where all video games have taken us since first half ends it ends. Yeah. There's no wandering off the pitch animation. It doesn't even let the ball continue with momentum. The screen freezes and statistics. Yeah. That's it. I like it when Simon fouls for a second time and you can just hear Fash go, second time, ref! <laughs> Normally, it's the other players opposite him that are shouting that. How does it feel, Fash? How does it feel? But Simon gets closest in this first half uh, where he gets a shot where he hits the post. And actually, I think he hits the post twice in this first half. So it is nil-nil. It is all to play for. Oh. And then we have a little bit of uh, halftime banter from the commentary box. It's great. The first challenge was good. This one just rocks. And it's yeah. like, it's even watching it now, no rose-tinted spectacles. This is I mean, I'm in a place in the moment now when I'm in my mid-30s where I'm like, I don't really like football games. I don't really like watching football that much. I watch it occasionally, but I'm not massively into it. But this was really fun. This mm. was a so I went in this with almost like a negative perspective of like, oh, I'm not gonna enjoy this challenge. Also, it's a you know, it's a Man United Europe game. It's a game I never played. I don't really know what it is. I had a lot of fun with this though. It's really, really good. <laughs> this did this this game actually watching this in preparation made me go, I'll take a look at the latest FIFA. Oh, no. <laughs> well, it's all very tense here indeed. Simon appears to have been doing the most creative play, but John's tackles have been crunching. If you want to see how the match ends, tune back in after the break. This thing's not working. Press the button. Well, we had a day out and we took ourselves off of the street. The head's still spinning. It's all right, Sydney. This'll bring you around. Imagine being as powerful, as ruthless, as thoroughly unpleasant as the Terminator. Unfortunately, on Sega. You're the nice guy. So to be any good really is going to take ages. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you can wash all this and this with one two kilo pack of Surf Micro Plus, why pay more? Unfortunate Ipswich fan Simon Reynolds has taken on Wimbledon's John Fashion. The score at the end of the first half was nil-nil, but they hit the woodwork several times, so it looks like we're in for a cracking second half. Okay. So the second half kicks off, and that first goal, it comes quickly, and it's a solid cross behind the keeper. There was no chance of stopping this. It was a, It's a sort of goal that I love to pull off in football games because it really upsets the person you're playing against, unless it's the AI. But I like to think that my PlayStation is sulking. And I like to think as well that Simon had this as a bit of retribution because as we came back from that ad break, Dominic Diamond refers to Simon as, quote, unfortunate Ipswich fan. <laughs> and I'm like, and then Simon scores very, very quickly. And I'm like, yes, Simon, you score. You tell Dominic Diamond. You show him where to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fash runs all the way through Liverpool. He's playing as Man United in this. And he runs past the goalkeeper he could just run the ball into the net but shoots and he hits the crossbar from the most incredible angle <laughs> looking at it in the context of actual football that's an england quarter final in the world cup goal <laughs> attempt but it's also a thing of like where you get an actual footballer playing a football video game because we as gamers know that yeah you just run the ball across the line and the computer will work it out yeah whereas he's like in his head no, I gotta shoot. Gotta shoot. Gotta shoot. Yo, just run it across the line, mate. Yeah. It's fine. But it's the crowd just like <laughs> lynch him verbally, just like ah! 
You can hear someone laughing so loudly. I thought that was Simon. <laughs> and then Simon immediately scores again as punishment to Fash for his. It, I'll be honest, at that it looked like a cross. And the way he was angled, it looked like he was trying to cross the ball. Boom, second goal, and then immediately follows it up by kicking the shins out <laughs> of one of the uh one of the Man United players again. Gets another yellow card for it. Fash tries the same tactic of just running straight, uh, but unfortunately he blasts it right at the keeper. And then as the game comes to an end with everyone running around the ball, struggling to grab a hold of it, Simon wins 2-0. Solid game, a great challenge. Simon holds his head high. Fash is well on his way to gladiators. <laughs> Congratulations, Simon. It was all it was all square at half time, but you let him have it in the second half, didn't you? Oh, absolutely, yeah. We did a lot of research into how Fash played, and uh, he played into our hands in the second half. You know, the lads done great. <laughs> now, John, you must be sick as a parrot. We obviously I'm a little bit disappointed. I think the crowd will bear with me. I think they thought it was a goal as well. <laughs> Obviously a controversial decision. You know, it's like 1966 all over again. Exactly. Um, I don't bear him any hard wishes, so, you know, all the best. I'm not a bad loser. Okay, well, John's got every right to be unhappy because he's missed out on the chance of our fabulous Golden Throbbing Games Master Joystick. What I loved about this as well is when they were doing sort of the post-game interviews and the post-challenge interviews with Dominic Diamond, both of them played it like they were football managers having just finished a full 90 minutes of football because you got Simon going, we researched how John Fashnew played during the first half so we could target his weaknesses in the second half. Now, either Simon was just a natural, which I want to believe, or they coached him. Yeah. If they did, fair play. It just upped the entertainment factor tenfold because it's a long way from first challenge I like Mario and I thought I messed it up no offence to the kid again because as I said different time different culture different approach to having a camera in your face exactly yeah John Fashnew says that it should have been a goal called it a controversial decision and then, oh, Ash, do you fancy another dick joke? Oh, sure. Yeah, well, because uh, Dominic Diamond says that he's won a throbbing Games Master joystick. If your joystick is throbbing, consult a physician. <laughs> <laughs> and now, each week, each week at this juncture of the show, we enter our consultation zone. If you have any problems with your favourite games, drop us a line about them and we'll get your queries answered by the man who knows more than anyone, the Games Master. Uh, let's head into the consultation zone. This was the part of the show where kids got to meet Games Master through the means of virtual reality and ask for his help on certain games. This was amazing. I mean, there's a reason that we stole this bit for the name of the podcast because for me, the consultation zone was always the most important yes. part of Games Master. Just like the hints and cheats section of the magazines were always the most important part because as a kid, I sucked at video games. <laughs> Man, like, as an adult, I suck at video games. I got better or maybe just more persistent. You'd be the judge. <laughs> In particular, I would remember an episode finishing or a consultation zone finishing and being gutted if they didn't talk about a game that I had. Because then I wanted to hear like hints and cheats for the games that I owned. But thinking like, oh, Maybe next week my game will be on there and then I can get some hints and cheats on how I can beat the game. I loved Consultation Zone. It's mm. my, probably my favourite bit of the show. It's an interesting mix of games that we get on this Consultation mm. Zone. But before I go into that, and unfortunately this is a visual element I wish to mention, the little screens that drop down for the Games Master. Did you notice there are multiple appearances of a spinning butt plug? Yeah, <laughs> I did. 
I thought you were going to point out the blue screens that look like they were missing graphics. Oh, <laughs> there's that. And I put that down to the fact that, you know, early days production. I mean, this show was doing a lot on not a lot of budget. Yeah, £10,000 yeah. an episode. Weirdly, I think you could produce a slicker product on ten thousand pounds now. Oh, you may you could get a year's worth of content out of ten thousand pounds. Yeah, but no, I missed the the butt plug. Uh, I will keep an eye out that for future episodes because I, I will most likely be there for the rest of this season. Hello, Games Master. Welcome to my kingdom. I am delighted to see you. And what have you got to ask me? On Sonic the Hedgehog, I heard there's a secret world on Act Three of the Green Hill Zone. Could you please tell me where it is? I can't find it anywhere. Indeed, I can, dear boy. Though I must admit to being a little surprised that you haven't found it yet. Work through the level until you reach a solid wall. Instead of bouncing over it, however, you can break straight through it by taking a run-up and spinning upon impact. You will then be in a secret world where six little rings and an extra life await you. Thanks very much. See you. But our first game is Sonic the Hedgehog, a game we're going to see in the next episode of uh, this show and this podcast. And a kid wants to find a hidden world. And instantly he was like, I've heard there's a hidden world in Sonic the Hedgehog. Can you help me find it? I sort of sat up in my seat and was like, there's a hidden world in Sonic the Hedgehog. Please tell me more, Games Master. What he actually means is there's a hidden area in Sonic where you can pick up some, quote, fizzy rings and an extra life. And I was like... Oh, I thought there was some hidden world that I had no idea of 30 years later. See, what I'm curious about with the consultation zone is obviously they stuck these kids who were probably in the audience on a green screen and just had them look at a ping pong ball and go, hidden zone, thanks very much. Did they find out then what the hint was or when they saw it broadcast? Because I can imagine in some cases, like that kid's probably like, I knew about that. Yeah, exactly. I, I was talking about a hidden world, not I'm a not, hidden area. I'm not five. I know how to spin. Hello, Games Master. Hello, and nice to see you. Now, what can I do for you? In Elvira, I can't find the four-leaf clove I need for casting a spell. Where is it? Elvira does indeed require a modicum of ingenuity. The clover can be found at the base of the hedge on the way towards the falconer in the meadow. You shall now have all the ingredients you need for casting the propitious surprise spell. Oh, thanks. Now, Sonic, nice mainstream game. Easy appeal. Next game, Elvira? I've written down, is that what it was called? It was, and it was indeed based on Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. And it's that's a what direct, I was going to ask. It's a direct sequel to the movie, and I had to check this out because I'm like, maybe I misheard, maybe the VHS rip is dodgy and it's actually Ultima, because it looks more like an Ultima-type game. No, this is an Elvira game. No way. It's very well received. It was a very popular game at the time. It got very high ratings. It was definitely in that high 80 to 90 bracket. Wow. Yeah. It's one that I may keep an eye out for because I'm like, I, I like a good adventure game and the level of puzzle that's being set in this looks like the sort of thing that will frustrate the hell out of me. So I'm up for it. Well, it was certainly frustrating the hell out of this kid because he couldn't find that clover leaf that he needed. This kid looked way too young to be playing Elvira. <laughs> I think that's probably why I assumed it wasn't based on Elvira. Yeah, I was just like, oh, there was another franchise called Elvira. Nope, nope, nope. it's that Elvira. Hello, Games Master. On Simon's quest, I cannot get past Deborah Cliff. What advice can you give me? To get past the very large wall that is Deborah Cliff, you need to select the red crystal and then kneel down for about five seconds. A whirlwind will then appear, which will whisk you across to the other side of the wall. Uh, rather ingenious, isn't it? 
Thanks very much. Bye. And our last child is struggling in a very common area of struggling when playing Castlevania 2 Simon's Quest, which is how the bloody hell am I supposed to get past this cliff edge? Because what you need is the red crystal and to kneel down for a few seconds and then the whirlwind appears and takes you past it. How in the hell you were meant to do that without the hints and cheat guides in magazines or shows like this, I've no idea. Because there is no clue in that game on how you're supposed to do that. To quote the back-to-reality technician in Red Dwarf, it's blatant. <laughs> I'll be honest, I don't think I ever fully played Simon's Quest. I played a bunch of Castlevania games. When they first mentioned Simon's Quest and the graphics came up, I'm like, this isn't Simon the Sorcerer. <laughs> I was very confused for a while. But the kneeling down bit is the bit that's really obtuse. That's exactly That it, doesn't yeah. sound like a natural gameplay progression bit. That sounds like a hop up and down on a spot five times, A, B, C, X, Y, Z, and turn your Mega Drive upside down while listening to Ozzy Osbourne. It, it seems very unfair. Like, because my, my friend had an NES and they had Simon's Quest. And I don't specifically remember being stuck at this point, but I do remember being stuck a lot playing that game because it is, it's so punishing in terms of not giving you any information. It definitely speaks to a change in game design. And I think this is something you encounter a lot is back in those days of game development when also arcade games were still very much in developers' minds. They wanted the quarters, they wanted the replay. Have games gotten easier now? Yes. Have they therefore got more satisfying and enjoyable? Possibly. Yeah. Because there were so many games from that time which I never completed. And I go back now and without the aid of Rewind or Infinite Continues, I'm still not going to complete them. I was listening to a podcast recently uh, from Stop Skeletons from Fighting, the YouTube channel. Mm. And Grace was talking on there that she played The Legend of Zelda, the original Legend of Zelda, for the first time. And she made the point, it's like, this is impossible to complete unless you have a guide. Because the game gives you no indications of where you can go, but every kid in America had their copy of Nintendo Power, which had the full Zelda guide, so they were all able to beat the game. But if you play that game without any instructions it's actually really challenging yeah and for our final challenge let's head on over to games master to find out what we're playing i thought an old-fashioned wild west shootout would be a good way of ending the first show with a bang the game mad dog mcqueen in this little escapade you've been deputized and your mission is to rid the town of outlaws in order to deliver to freedom the town sheriff held hostage in his own jail so get your pistol hammer cocked and let's see those barrels blazing. So we're ending on a laser disc game called Mad Dog McCree, which was in the arcade. I think we get released on Mega CD and, and things like that later on. 3DO. 3DO. Oh, yeah, probably on the 3DO. It's a light gun game. Yeah. Um, and laser disc games were quite popular at the time as well because there was something that was quite, you know, it's pretty special about seeing movies being played on screen and, and you sort of interacting with them. Or Space Ace or Dragon Slayer. Dragons, yeah, Dragon Slayer. Um, just like these amazing big screen games. And I'll be honest, the only time I saw these was on shows like Games Master. Yeah, totally. My local arcade was a couple of machines in the back of the video rental place, or once a year, the Mop Fair came to town <laughs> and they would have a couple of arcades. They had new machines, but these were things that were on the back of lorries. They weren't putting a laser disc system on the back of a lorry and trundling that around the country. <laughs> yeah. That way lies madness. And there's been a lot of stuff that's been written about laser disc games that because the laser disc had to be in a certain position, when they were being jostled around in transit, they would often get 
junked out of position. So actually, once soon as you plug the game in, it doesn't work mm. because the laser disc isn't connecting to the laser and the game doesn't work. So you could actually find an arcade that had a copy of something like Mad Dog McCree and it worked. This almost feels like a rare find. Yeah, and, and from a gameplay point of view, has this game aged well? No. no. This game is as much about muscle memory as anything because there is only one way of things reacting because it is essentially an interactive movie where you either successfully hit the trigger point or you die. Yeah. But you know what? There is a real charm to this game and games of this kind because the acting is shonky as hell. The games look kind of cheap, but it's kind of fun. Yeah. It also is interesting, this game, and this challenge is interesting because it's not a kid and it's not a celebrity. It is not. No, it is Tony Wright from North Wales who has a wonderful moustache. See, I wrote the word regrettable. <laughs> I, I mean, I love a moustache, me. And I think that he has got a pretty nice early 90s moustache. Reminds me of my Uncle John's moustache that he used to have. So maybe it was just like, it was a nice sort of nostalgic memory for me. I just think it was it was very close to the lip. It was like, it, it was very well manicured, I'll give that. But it was kind of like perfectly combed across the lip. Yeah. It, it was a... And Dominic Diamond even makes the point that you just did, where he said, I look at you and the word mature comes to mind. Yes, and then we go on to certainly one of the more elaborate dick jokes <laughs> where, you know, as actually I think we as adults now find, video games can be very good. You know, when you've had a hard day at the office, you can go home, you can blast out on Doom or go to the arcade and play Mad Dog McCree and it release some of that tension. Mm -hmm. Which leads Dominic Diamond to say... Okay, well, I've had a hard day myself. Let's hope you relieve my tension, Tony. Well, I've had a hard day, Tony. Let's hope you relieve my tension. <laughs> Basically, asking for a hand job. <laughs> this is a kid's show. This <laughs> is half six, past six. <laughs> this, is just, this isn't just, ooh, just before the watershed. This is like before most six-year-olds have gone to bed or five-year-olds. You know, the, the, it's only just dark. You know, it's crazy. Uh, Tim Boone from Computers and Video Games is on the commentary desk and he calls this a special game. I don't think Tim Boone was massively into Mad Dog McCree. He didn't seem that enthused about commentating on this. I think phoning it in is a comfortable way to say this. I guess this is where we come to the gameplay. There isn't actually much gameplay to Mad Dog McCree. It's a lot of watching. A lot of watching bad acting. Although not so much with the way that Tony plays. Because Tony is, he knows this game back to front. Oh, he's played this a lot. He's played this a lot. All of these actors had lines of dialogue. I've no idea what most of them are because as soon as they start to open it, guys, you're coming here for my kip boom. <laughs> Tony's not having any of it. Don't he's, let him get the boom. boom. You're, you're dead as well. Tony also likes to shoot people even when they're already dead. The death animation is happening. And he was just like, nah, I'll just plug you a couple more times. To be honest, double tap. That's the way to go. You know, that's it. I mean, he even shoots a guy in the ass, <laughs> and which like they comment on. <laughs> There's a moment as well when he shoots one of the lads and it just cuts to Tony, who's just got this wry smile on his face. It's like, yeah, I got you. I got you good. I bet his favourite book's Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> <laughs> Tony nails every single person in this place. They go to a bar because um, the, the old coot at the start tells him, it's like, oh, you need to head to the bar. That's where the, sh that's where the keys are being kept. So he heads on over there and they walk in and uh, Tim says, oh, this place is full of trouble. And a barmaid walks past and goes, apart, apart from, from her. her. 
She's quite nice. <laughs> She's quite safe. And he nails like every single person. He's saying like, they can't even get dialogue out. He's just like, I haven't got time for it. I haven't got time for it. I've got to get home. The wife's made tea. I've already had a call to say that I need to be home, but I need to get rid of my stress reliever before I get back. I mean, he is playing this game in beast mode. It is just <laughs> it like, is. I mean, also he probably benefits from this machine is clearly in immaculate condition. Yeah. There's no saliva or chewing gum across the light Absolutely sensor. Not. That laser disc is perfectly set yeah it's a very quick challenge he motors through it there isn't even a moment because i don't know does do you have multiple lives in this game i i'm assuming you have a life bar like probably like three hits i'm thinking like a time crisis style mode to be honest we wouldn't know not for no, this no, playthrough absolutely not because he's not taking any hits whatsoever he even manages to nail the guy through the door through this tiny little window on the second shot it doesn't get him first try but he nails him on that second shot he nails him on the second shot and that's the point where he goes through the guy's already on the ground and he shoots him in the ass just bam <laughs> Just ass. making sure. And there's the sheriff, and it's over. Absolutely, it's over. And then during the post-match interview, Dominic Diamond's questioning him, and Tony said, it's not an easy game. I'm like, mate, you made it look bloody easy. Like, you absolutely nailed it. Next up, you just do it blindfolded. <laughs> I would put odds. He could probably make it through blindfolded. Oh, yeah. Because he was looking at the screen, but he was kind of looking through the screen. Again, that muscle memory, he's like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> just hand up, left, right, down. So we kick off the series with three winners, but I have a feeling things are going to get a lot tougher. And now it's time for me to don my smoking jacket and have a refreshing cup of chamomile. So I see you again in seven days. Good night. And he gets himself a golden joystick. I didn't, uh, I didn't hear a dick joke in all of this, and I didn't feel like we ended on a dick joke. We didn't. Dominic peaked with asking for a hand job, and unless wearing a smoking jacket and wanting some chamomile tea is a euphemism that's somehow lost to time. I don't think we ended on a no. dick joke, but he points out three challenges, three golden joysticks. Maybe the next set of challenges will be a little bit harder. He does indeed. Yeah. And he said he puts on his smoking jacket. He's off for a nice cup of chamomile as the show ends. I thought it was a great first episode of the show. I thought it was spectacular. I think however many takes it took, starting with three victories is great because if you had too much defeat in that first episode kids would just be watching other children be dejected yeah and yeah it sets everything up the ending was a bit odd okay so we started with you playing with your organ fine dick joke the smoking jacket i mean it kind of fits his ensemble with the waistcoat yeah. and the little glasses and everything it's a little also bit looking a bit like adam bibelow you, yeah also <laughs> looking a little bit at adam and and then he, yeah he just goes off with his monk and then we go into an extended version of the theme tune in a slightly minor key. Yeah, very, very nice. Yeah, and and I I got to the end of this, and I'm like, episode two, let's yeah, go. Yeah, the exact same I'm, thing. I just I'm ready for another one of these. Yeah. Let's see what we got. What I really like about this first episode is the three challenges are nice and varied. You've got the Mario Brothers 3 one at the start, which is about collecting the coins. Then you've got the nice football challenge with the celebrity. And then the Laserdisc game to end on, as you said, is something that in 1992 you wouldn't have seen a lot of. So you only would have seen them on TV shows like this. And one thing I really liked about the choice of games, it was not only a varied choice of games, it was a varied choice of platforms. We had a home console, the Nintendo. Uh, the Man United game, I'm guessing, was an Amiga. It was definitely yeah. a home. It was Amiga or Atari. It was definitely a home computer joystick, single button. I think a quick shot type. And then, yeah, the arcade. So it wasn't pandering to one type of gamer or one platform. It was 
steering well clear of the console wars and it just made this show feel a bit more accessible completely agree i mean like in that time period as well the the, the home computer game console like the the amigas the commodores and things like that that's really what britain were playing we didn't really get into the nes and the master system and things like that we were more into our home computer consoles with our lovely tape decks mm, tape decks <laughs> so in a tradition that games master itself honors shall we give this episode a percentage score rating I'm going to give this episode the same score they gave Terminator at 87%. And that may just be because I wanted a more exciting finale than Mad Dog McCree. Um, but that's only, I think, me looking at it through 2019 eyes. I wanted like a big, big finale as opposed to what essentially was a bit of a whimper. I agree with you. Similarly, I would give it 85%. I'd go a couple of percent lower for pretty much the same reasons. While I know the celebrity challenge is a nice element to have in the middle, I'd have flipped them. I'd have had Mad Dog second and ended on Man United because that was a really strong finish, a really strong challenge. The commentators were into it. The crowd was into it. Everyone was just there. Yeah, completely agree. But that's going to do it for now. We're going to get our smoking jackets and drink some nice chamomile tea. And we'll see you next time on Under Consultation. Now for that information about the Under Consultation Club. You can follow us on Twitter at UnderConsultPod, and you can send your thoughts on each episode to feedback at underconsultation.com. You can also follow your hosts on Twitter at ThisIsLukeOwen and at AshVersus. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a subscribe and a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.